Hello and welcome to YHTV's Magical Medical Tour. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Christina Souza Ma, and with me is our wonderful medical guide, Dr. Glenn Woolman. What's up, Doc? Hello, <laughs> <laughs> Christina. Hello, Dr. Woolman. How are you? Fantastic. I'm bouncing. Uh, I, like I know, I see that, and I, I hope am. you're going to be bouncing more. This is going to be a very special show today. Very special. Very yes. special. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to Magical Medical Tour. I'm Dr. Glenn Wallman, and I will be your medical guide, along with Christina, as we travel through another quadrant of the healthcare galaxy in search of optimal health. And today, we're going actually into uncharted territories for us. We're going to be interviewing Scott Spaulding, and to be very clear and open and transparent, he is a client of mine, and he is willing to come on and talk about uh, his life right now, and that's what our interview is going to be about today. So, Christina, as we move forward, I know there will be people that might want to comment on this or talk with Scott at some point. How do they get in touch with us? Mm, thank you, Glenn. Um, at any time during this show, you can feel free to ask a question or make a comment simply by scrolling down on your screen and typing it into the comment box. And uh, no matter when you see this show, it could be a year from now, six months from now, you can still do so. And we will make sure that your comment or question reaches the individual, whether it be our guests or Dr. Woolman or us here at Yoga Hub, we will respond to it. Um, and if you are listening to this through a podcast, iTunes, um, give us a call. 818-LET'S-TALK. 818-LET'S-TALK. Be sure to leave your contact information so that we can get uh, the answers right back to you. Thank you so much, Dr. Woolman. So, Scott Spaulding, uh, we are going to talk with him and we're going to go on a journey with him. He's a 49-year-old male in, uh, living in Santa Barbara, and he works for the government, the regional government in Santa Barbara, and he was living what he considered a normal life with his wife. In fact, they were planning a trip to Africa when uh, that journey changed for a new journey, and today we're going to find out about that journey, and in order to do so, I want to introduce Mr. Scott Spaulding. Greetings, Scott. Hi. Thanks Hello. for having me. Hello, Scott. Pleasure to have you here on our show. Thank you so much. Sure thing. Scott, usually as the medical guide, I try to tell our uh, viewing audience and listening audience uh, where we're going to go. But this is a journey that we're not sure where we're going, actually, because you have volunteered uh, to talk with us over multiple shows and follow us as you journey through a diagnosis of cancer and all of the treatments and the potential healing. We don't know how this is going to end is what I'm saying here. So this is going to be very interesting for us. You're okay with that? Absolutely, yeah. I think it adds an element of drama. It definitely adds mm -hmm. an element of and I'm, <laughs> that's how much drama it adds to it. I can't even speak anymore. So that was the that was the original part, Scott. You were you were just living a normal life. We're going to talk about a little bit of your past history, present history, and future history. Uh, but you were living a normal life, and you had plans to go to Africa, right? That's right. Yeah, my wife and I for several years have been planning a trip to Africa. We had put it, we haven't been, we had uh, put that off for several years due to a variety of reasons. And uh, we had finally uh, had everything settled, actually paid for the trip. Uh, we're going to go uh, in uh, the last two weeks in May and June. And um, that's, and I just about, 
I think uh, about three weeks before we were supposed to fly out is when I um, got the diagnosis. Okay, and let's go before the diagnosis. Uh, you have a family history. Uh, you have a, a, a maternal grandfather who had uh, colon cancer. Uh, we th- we think so. Yeah, it's this happened in the 1930s, and mm-hmm. so you know, not not really good medical records back then, and so they the suspicion is that he had some sort of colon cancer. He had um, he had an operation to try to treat it that went very wrong, and that um, led to some very serious complications that uh, stayed with him for the rest of his life. But the uh, conventional wisdom in the family is that he had, you know, some sort of colon cancer to start with. And and then you had another grandparent uh, who had stomach cancer. That's cor- that's correct. And again, this was back in the 30s. So uh, this, would, this was my uh, paternal grandmother, and she died at uh, age 50 uh, when my dad and his brother were teenagers. And the story that the fa- that the family knows is that it was stomach cancer of course they that was kind of a catch all phrase back then mm-hmm. no one really knows what it you know could have been or and or what it was and <clears throat> we don't really have any i don't have any um information about the kind of conditions that or the symptoms that he had, she had or the conditions that she was living in before she died right your father had uh prostate cancer correct and uh was that the reason he passed away? He had he had advanced prostate cancer. He also had a bad heart valve, um, and so I think between those two, it was it was about two years that he um, was sick at the end of his life. And you know what ultimately um, you know was the cause? We're not sure, but it was probably complications from or, or a result of the prostate cancer. And your mother had. Uh a benign polyp surgery, and she's still doing really well at age? She turns 91 next month, mm. or in September, I should say. And um, she's going very strong. She has very much a spirit. She has some uh, medical complications, arthritis, um, but she is uh, has uh, quite a bit of, of life in her right now at age 91. So mm. she's very much going strong. And you have a number of uh, siblings that are older than you and in relatively good health? Yes, I have uh, two older brothers and an older sister, anywhere from 7 to 12 years older, and they're all in, um, you know, very, very, pretty good health. Very good. No, so, no complications or anything. Knowing, knowing this right now, uh, without anything else, did you take that into consideration in any lifestyle or any processes of getting... Uh, regular medical checkups with a history of cancer in your family was that something that you focused on? No, I certainly didn't. Um, <clears throat> well, until my dad was diagnosed with prostate cancer, I wasn't thinking about preventative cancer um, lifestyle. Mm-hmm. I I was in part relying on the fact that I was the youngest of four kids, and odds are one of my older brothers or older sister would have some sort of issue before I would, that turned out to be wrong. So they, they let you down. There's a, yeah, they, there, there was no filter there. So, um, that, and, and, you know, and, and when my dad was diagnosed with prostate cancer, that's a, that's something that typically affects older men. And so 
and and very frequently, the, the older you get, I'm not sure what the percentage is, but it's very high. If you live long enough, you're very likely going to get it. So, um, but I didn't, I wasn't thinking about cancer at all at age, you know, 49. Clearly, and you're you're making plans to go on a wonderful trip. And this is this is part of the reason we're doing this today. There are many people out there that are making plans to go on a wonderful trip. Would you? have a message for them about the genetic part of this process. As we go through, we'll talk about other things that we can learn from this. But in retrospect now, would you have changed anything? Uh, well, changed anything. How, in terms of maybe getting more checkups or, or looking at healthier lifestyles, anything like that. Well, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. So yeah, and that's what that's what we're looking for right now. Some hindsight for other people that are moving forward. The one thing that I would say for sure, with my particular case, which was colorectal cancer, you know, colonoscopy is the first step of trying to find out if there is anything to be known, and that usually starts at fifty, unless it's some sort of symptom based um, procedure. So I, one recommendation I would have to anyone that's listening or, or watching is if, they, if you have any symptoms whatsoever that could be associated with any kind of, uh, any kind of issue at all, and it's not just colorectal, it's anything, uh, get it checked out. And when it comes to, say, colon cancer or colon issues, um, have, if you, again, if you have symptoms, get a colonoscopy, don't, don't. Um, you know, listen to your doctor if they try to put you off. Just get it done, and that's that's even though most of my friends are turning fifty right now, when you which is when you start doing it, um, you know, routinely or as a screening. Um, my friends, most of my friends have a, um, a a little bit of extra incentive to be doing it, and they're they're all doing it right now, which is good. Great, and and in fact, one of my friends, uh, the colonoscopy found two benign polyps, so it's a good thing he did it. Very good. You're an advocate now. <clears throat> so now you're, you're getting ready for your trip, and what happened that made things change? What, was, what were your symptoms or signs? I had had blood in my stool for the last, you know, probably year or so, infrequently but noticeable. And I went to my primary back in the fall of 2014. Uh, she uh, recommended a colonoscopy. It was before I was 50, and... For whatever reason, and I don't really know exactly what the reasons were, it simply wasn't scheduled by my uh, the medical clinic that I was with then. I didn't follow up myself to, to uh, make sure that it did happen. And so I think it was originally scheduled to be in November of 2014, and it didn't happen. And I went back to my primary for another checkup in uh, March and uh, ha you know talked about the same symptoms, which were still present, um, and she recommended it again, and I scheduled it again, and this time the same thing happened where the medical clinic just didn't follow through. I wasn't contacted to schedule. There, there, has to, there had to be an insurance approval process, but this time I followed up myself, and it was actually very difficult to get, to get the colonoscopy scheduled for me. I think it was because I was 49 and not 50, uh, but I'm not sure. And when they finally did agree to schedule, they scheduled it for something like three months out. And I said, you know, that that's not acceptable. I need to do it sooner. And so my doctor, my primary actually stepped in and, and asked them to schedule it sooner. And that was in April. And that's when I had the colonoscopy and they found the tumor. So 
so let's talk about this for a moment and focus on this. What cha- What would you do differently or what would you advise people that go to their doctor? First of all, I'm assuming that you would now advise people if you had blood in your stools for a year, you wouldn't wait a full year right. to do it. You would, sure. you would do something sooner now and you would recommend that. But let's talk about the other part where you go to your doctor appropriately, your doctor orders a colonoscopy appropriately, and then nothing happens. So what would you do differently now? How do you see the strategy for someone else who does the same thing and it doesn't get done? Well, you know, 20th century, 21st century healthcare in America, the patient has to be responsible for their own healthcare. They have to be their own advocate. And so you have to, as the patient, be aware of what, certainly what your rights are, whatever your medical coverage is, if you have it, and make sure that you are looking out for yourself. Um, Doctors and medical care often treat the disease or the symptoms rather than the patient. And so you have to think about yourself as your own advocate. And even though you're not a doctor, you need to know as much as you can about any symptoms that you might have, what it could be, what it's not. And then hopefully your doctor is working in concert with you to try to address whatever issue it is if you have an issue. But you have to look out for yourself as you enter this journey. Excellent advice. Would you would you have anything to say to the doctor uh, in terms of what what other doctors should consider doing when they order a test, a follow up on their own part to make sure that things are going well? Um, I, you know, in an ideal world, do- doctors are challenged. In again, in this in this country, the way healthcare is delivered, um, they have all kinds of demands on them. I understand that, and they don't. They often don't have the um, luxury of spending. Uh, patient, spending time with the patients as much time as they would like to. So I understand that. But at the same time, you know, there is a certain sort of base responsibility, I would think, on the part of a physician to be able to look out for the interests of all of the um, all, uh, customers, I would call them, all of the patients that they have. And so, you know, it would be nice if everyone could find an ally and a, and a really strong advocate as a, uh, as a primary care physician, I know that's not really realistic, but that would be that would be the ideal. And and the other thing that I would mention in terms of a patient being an advocate for themselves, again, if they have any symptoms or any issues that are going on, um, is to know what what the symptoms might be. First of all, you have to be aware of symptoms. You know, there's a lot of non-specific symptoms out there for all kinds of stuff, and you know, it's it's important to not be alarmed that you have a headache. You know, it doesn't mean you have a brain tumor, that kind of thing. So, the internet is really powerful, but also really scary. There's all kinds of misinformation on the internet, but you can actually find out some information, and hopefully, it's good information that you can take to your doctor and be able to talk to them in an educated fashion about what may be facing you, you know, what different treatment options are and, and things like that. Well said. Uh, I really like that. And, and just to be clear, you had no other symptoms. You didn't have constipation or abdominal pain or infrequent bowel movements or abnormal bowel movements other than the blood. That was your only symptom and sign. Yeah. And it wasn't even, uh, that's correct. It was just that one symptom and the blood itself wasn't obviously self-evident, you know, in the stool. So it was, and it wasn't, you know, every time I went to the bathroom either. So, you know, who knows what it 
could, you know, it could have been hemorrhoids. It could have been anything. And, and so it's, you know, w- with everything, it's certainly something as major as cancer, you know, better safe than sorry. Figure out, try to do everything you can to figure out what it is uh, so that you can treat it. All right. So now you go and you get your colonoscopy. And, of course, you and your wife are concerned and you don't have the answer yet. You finish the col- uh, the colonoscopy. Uh, what's going through your mind in terms of uh, any fears or any thoughts before you got the actual diagnosis? Um, I was awake during the colonoscopy, and so I could. Uh, I was watching the video monitor of the camera, mm-hmm. and so I could see the tumor when he came across it. Okay. And he didn't identify it, you know, as that. Um, and when he didn't do anything about it, you know, it wasn't a polyp that he could remove or, uh, or anything like that. Uh, that was the first signal that it was, um, serious situation. Um, in the recovery room, immediately after the colonoscopy, the doctor came in and, you know, it's, and, and immediately told me that he had, uh, referred me to a surgeon. And that's, an, you know, that's the second signal that it's a very serious situation if you're talking about surgery, you know, 20 minutes after the colonoscopy. So, um, but they took a biopsy in the colonoscopy, and uh, I think I had the colonoscopy on a Friday morning, and my clinic has an <clears throat> has a online medical communication system, and uh, on Monday afternoon or evening, I received via email the results of the biopsy uh, through, you know, um, a posting to my record. And the term was, or it was identified as invasive cancer. So that's how I found out what what it was. You know, I I already knew this. And as you were just saying that right now, a a chill went through me uh, in reading that. And I'm wondering, I was wondering how a person nowadays in technology world, would you rather have gotten that that way? Would you rather have gotten it in a doctor's office maybe two or three or four days later? How do you feel about that way of receiving the information? And then what was your immediate reaction? Well, you know, everyone's different in terms of how they like to consume information or be communicated with. I, I, I was okay with that. I had a strong suspicion based on, you know, the previous couple of days that it was not going to be good information. So I wasn't surprised to see that uh, test result. I, I, and, you know, there's, I, for me, for me personally, and again, everyone's different. I think there's some, for me, there was some benefit to hearing that news at home rather than in a, um, you know, foreign doctor's office that's uncomfortable and sterile. Um, other people certainly would rather have that type of diagnosis communicated personally to them, <clears throat> which I totally understand. But I was actually okay with that. Um, I got the information around, I don't know, 6 o'clock or something. My wife got home at 6.30, and I told her right away. And, um, you know, that's when the ball started rolling. You know, the diagnosis is cancer, and then the question is, okay. We knew it might be like this, or we knew it might be cancer. The question is, now what? Right. Your your journey to Africa was changed to a journey to survival. Right. Well, we didn't know yet. You know, we didn't know 
what that meant. We, we were still optimistic because we weren't leaving for several weeks. You know, maybe it could be taken care of. Maybe it could be taken care of later. You know, we didn't know. We, we were, you know, a blank slate in terms of information about, you know, colon rectal cancer. And so we didn't, we didn't know what to think. Okay. What was your next step? Did you go see the surgeon? The next day, I think was a Tuesday. And we, um, this is out of memory here because I don't have my wife's excellent note-taking uh, book in front of me. But we, I believe the next day we met with the surgeon uh, and had a CAT scan. and uh, Or had a CAT scan first and then met with the surgeon after that to go over the results of the CAT scan. And the, um, the results of the um, – I check this. I'm, I'm, I'm remembering uh, the sequence of events a little bit better now. So we had the colonoscopy on a Friday, and we met with the surgeon the next week, and that was before any kind of scan. So he gave me a digital exam, the surgeon did, uh, and this was um, after I had received notice that it was invasive cancer. So we met with the surgeon, he gave me a digital exam, uh, could not feel the tumor, which was positive, and so at that point, because their CAT scan results were not available yet, um, I, it was possible they didn't know what stage it was, and so it could be uh, dealt with surgically rather than you know a stage three cancer with uh, chemo radiation treatment. And so for a couple of days, you know, we didn't know which way it was going to go. And when we got the CAT scan results, and then met for a second time with the surgeon, is when they said. It's clinically diagnosed at stage three. That means uh, chemo and radiation first, and the, and the whole you know nine yards that way, rather than a simple you know direct surgery. And just as a, an aside for people listening, whenever anyone is diagnosed with a serious cancer, <clears throat> we go through the medical uh, community goes through a process of trying to stage and grade the tumor, finding out what kind of tumor it is, what kind of tissue it is, how big it is, whether it's invaded somewhere, whether it's metastasized, whether it's in lymph nodes, whether it's in other parts of the body. And all of these are the diagnostic things that go into making decisions about how to treat and how to determine the possibilities of a future with this cancer. So you were going through that. And as you're going through that, what's, what's going on in your mind? You're, you're getting the exam by the surgeon, and you get the CAT scan. You now know it's invasive, and you go back to the, see the surgeon. How was your experience with this surgeon? Well, um, the surgeon here in Santa Barbara had a very good reputation and for his uh, skill, and that was um, you know that was reassuring. I think we had known that ahead of time. Um, I think that I think the, the the biggest shock for us was when for, for us was when we met with the surgeon the second time and looked with him together at the CAT scan results, and you could see the lymph nodes on the on the CAT scan, which you normally are not able you're not supposed to be able to see, and so they made an estimate as to what the size of the lymph nodes were, which was under a centimeter, um, which is, and the, uh, you know, which is, according to the medical guides, not um, an automatic assumption that the cancer itself has actually spread to the lymph nodes. So at that point, we, is really when the information overload started happening with us because 
we were we could understand sort of conceptually a surgical approach to an issue and then you recover from surgery and there might be what you know whatever there is after surgery what we certainly didn't know anything about was a different type of treatment that involved radiation and chemotherapy and you know two two steps of surgery with a second round of chemo and all that kind of stuff and so for about 4 to 6 weeks there was just an you know, I describe it as as drinking from a fire hose in terms of information, trying to find out what all of this meant, what the, you know, guidelines were, the national guidelines for what was affecting me. And uh, so we talked to as many people as we could. We have a couple of um, members of the family that we were able to tap into who were oncologists or friends of the family. And so, and we started getting, you know, second, third, and fourth opinions at, at places like UCLA and different areas. And, um, that was that was a struggle because we're both trying to maintain our day jobs at the same time we are trying to educate ourselves as much we can to the point where we can talk to doctors who have been through medical school and have you know 10 or 20 years of medical experience and so you know the terminology and the information uh was overwhelming um fortunately for us we didn't have to, we weren't faced, it didn't seem as if we were faced with a choice between two different paths in terms of treatment. There seemed to be a pretty strong consensus amongst all of the physicians and others that we talked to about um, the assumption of a stage 3 diagnosis based on some testing as well as the treatment, the, the most commonly accepted and most effective treatment for a stage three colorectal cancer. And so we were fortunate in that we didn't have to, as, as lay people, you know, make a, make a choice between two different um, options that may be equally effective. It seemed like there was a pretty broad consensus about the particular way to go, which for me was uh, six weeks of chemo and radiation followed by um, a healing period and then cancer and then a second round of chemo. Uh, surgery, what do you mean? Yeah, 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 surgery. surgery. Right. <clears throat> so how did you get in touch with me? Uh, we see, uh, my wife and I both see a local um, osteopath here in Santa Barbara. And uh, we, one of the, one of the uh, we, we really enjoy going to uh, see him. And he had recommended uh, you as someone to, as, as someone that helps patients go through this very complicated process of cancer diagnosis and treatment and uh, how to prepare for it and how to go through it. And so um, we called you up and we chatted with you and and made a decision to have you um, help us go through the process. It was interesting for me uh, because on the initial conversation, both you and your wife were on the call and in most cases, when I take on a client, I, I'm happy to speak with family members and friends, anyone else that might give insights into a process, but I usually uh, work specifically with the client. But in this case, I, I just felt this wonderful bond between you and your wife. I listened to the two of you communicate, joke with each other, but be very serious over the phone in making even the decision to see me. And so I decided, at least for the first visit, uh, that I would have both of you come together. And let's talk about that first visit. What was your impression with that? 
So the first visit with, um, I call you Glenn, not Dr. Wellman, it's easier, but uh, the first visit with Glenn was uh, four hours long, and it seemed like it went by to me in about 90 minutes. It might have seemed like six or eight hours to you because I think you weren't feeling well that day. But um, it was it was a real sort of um, question and answer period, a lot of uh, detailed discussions about background for me and you know a little bit of background for you and, and discussion of the process. And uh, I felt it was really um, a, uh, almost invigorating process because we one of the things that I think any patient, would benefit from who's been diagnosed with a serious illness is an advocate. And I think that's a service that you provide. And it's unfortunate, I think, that in, again, in today's medical system, that patients need to go outside of their insurance provider to, you know, hire an advocate. But that's just the situation that we faced. Usually your primary doctor uh, is, is that advocate, but they just commonly don't play that role anymore because they don't have the time or the resources or maybe the inclination. I'm not sure. But, um, and so it was nice to have, after we'd made the decision to, uh, to hire you, we, we had a, we had a sense of reassurance that we were going to be accompanied in this process by an expert who is going to be an advocate for us and demystify, uh, what, you know, what, what could be demystified and clarify, uh, things that needed clarification and sort of pierce the veil a little bit for us. And, and, and we, we got a lot of that in that first meeting. And, and so I, I was, I was happy to, um, I was really happy with that first meeting because of how it went and the, the content that we covered. Yes. I remember I wasn't feeling well that day, but once I saw the two of you and started working, every, I was so uh, invigorated by your energies together that it really actually made me feel good. So we started we started to work and at the, at that point we seemed to have an idea of the path as you said, but we hadn't made a decision as to which surgeon we wanted or which chemo or which radiation or who was going to do this. Uh, but that's what we started working on, but I want to stop for one second and ask as we get to this point, I want to ask Christina if there's anything that you're thinking about right now. Oh, yes. I can imagine. <laughs> um, Scott, I, I'm very curious because this is the first time that, um, you know, like, like we've spoken to, to many people with imbalances. And this is the first time that I've heard of anyone finding out about their cancer online. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of it's uh, people have your reaction. It's very it's very common well, to to have that reaction. Did did your oncologist, I take it, did did he give you a choice to say would you rather hear the results from me or would you rather find out online or was it It just wasn't it wasn't the oncologist that we that we hadn't even we didn't even know who our oncologist was going to be yet when I found out. It was the um you know the colorectal guy um who Again, sort of the system that we have here in Santa Barbara, the clinic that I have here, um, you know, the, the physician that performed the colonoscopy, the, the message came from, or the diagnosis, the report back from the mm -hmm. pathology came from him. 
My goodness. So were you pre-warned that you could find out online? Um, yeah, I knew that we, I knew that that was possible, mm-hmm. um, because you get, we, again, with our system, you can get test results and things like that online. Yes. And so I was, I was aware that it could be possible and I was, um, I was okay with looking at it. Mm, great. Yeah. Cause, cause you have the choice of, you may get a notice that there's a report there, but you could have someone else read it or you could ask to speak with your doctor and intentionally not read it. But I was, I was okay with just taking a look at I it. I see. So, so basically it was, you know, your test results are posted and that's where you can view them. Right. I see. Got it. Okay. It's like, wow. You know? It wasn't, it wasn't like an email showed up in my inbox and said, you have cancer. Uh, well, thank God for that. <laughs> <laughs> that's wonderful. So I'm always curious at, at, as how, you know, people find our medical guide here. It was actually, and I think we can mention this in this particular case, uh, only because Dr. Tim Schultz was interviewed on our show. So uh, he is an osteopathic doctor, and he was the one that did that. So I want to keep moving forward now. Uh, When we started our process together, we knew the path, but we didn't know who was going to give the chemo, who was going to do the radiation, who was going to do the surgeries, and that was part of it. And what the first part of my process is to offer people saying, where are your limits and what's your range? In other words, we could stay here in Santa Barbara for all this, or I can have you going to uh, another hospital in California or in New York or in Europe. Where, what were the limits? So we gathered our limits together and figured out exactly what we wanted. And then we went on a very quick path Uh, to determine who was going to be the people taking care of you. And once we had that done, we started moving quickly into the process of getting you prepared. So what would be your concept of how I helped you to prepare for this chemotherapy, radiation therapy, and upcoming surgery that we're going to talk about in a few moments? Well, the the first session that we had you did your standard evaluation of a a person, a patient, in terms of the different areas of how you look at how someone should uh, prepare for whatever it is that's confronting you, a disease, a treatment, a surgery. And and then you do an evaluation. And and it's a self-evaluation, and then you evaluate the self-evaluation. And um, that was that was instructive. I, I had no idea. We had no idea how you would be able to help us, other than the fact that we knew you would be able to help us because this is what you do. And and so after you went through that evaluation, the six I think six or seven different areas of of how to approach the 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 healing process um, and the and the preparation process, um, we it, it sort of became clear to me that that seemed like an effective approach to do it in the different facets from, you know, nutrition and, and, um, you know, um, exercise and things like that. Um, in addition to some of the spirituality and, and meditation and things like that. So, you know, from, a, from a multifaceted approach to the, uh, to, 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 again, whatever that's facing you. And so that, that was, um, once, once we went through that process, that was okay. There's a lot of work to be done, and that um, that sort of was the jumping-off point for us looking forward and into the process of the initial chemo and radiation treatment and then ultimately surgery. 
And we moved fairly quickly. From the time that we got together, within one month, we had chosen the chemotherapy doctor, the radiation oncologist, and the surgeons that we wanted. And that was very important for you. You wanted to feel comfortable with the people that were treating you. It wasn't just the treatments themselves. Uh, it was also about the uh, the physicians that would be part of that. And yeah, so, I, and just to just to jump in on that, I think that that's a that's a really really important part of the of the treatment process for any patient, regardless of what you're experiencing. But you need to be as a patient, you need to feel comfortable with the person that's being that's responsible for um, fixing you, and if. If you're not, I think that that's going to creep into your healing process. And so if you're not comfortable with whatever surgeon, it could be the oncologist, it could be the surgeon, it could be whoever, um, it, it, I, would, I would encourage any patient to find someone you know, with whom you are comfortable because on a certain level, I think that will facilitate your healing when you get to a comfort level. Because if, if you're not comfortable with someone, there's an element of stress and stress is a killer, and you need to just reduce. You're stressed enough if you have cancer or some major disease, so you need to reduce stress wherever you can. Yeah, that's very important. I, I think that's great information as a takeaway for this. So we're moving forward, and you were about to face a month of or 28 days so of chemotherapy and radiation therapy. And we prepared you, aside from getting uh a good diet and getting rid of a couple of things and improving your lab tests and starting you on some exercise programs like walking and we started a qigong uh, meditation exercise we did some visualizations uh, and meditations all of these things and in fact we even had we developed some rituals that each time you would take your chemo or do your radiation you went through rituals to, some rituals uh, with meditation and bringing in the process. How did that work for you? I think it worked. <clears throat> I think it worked really well, well for me, you know, 28 days, <clears throat> obviously, you know, never gone through anything like this before. And so when you are facing a, um, a radiation machine that's massive, um, and that's attacking, you know, parts of your body, uh, parts of your body that are sick and parts of your body that aren't sick, mm. anything that you can do, to prepare yourself for the psychological impact of what that's happening to you. There's, there's not a lot you can do over the physical impact of something like radiation um, on a, on a near-term basis, but lots of people uh, can get scared of going into the radiation room. That was something that I never experienced, but I saw it happen and it can be intimidating. No one likes to, no one likes to be radiated. And so every, anything that, that a patient can do <clears throat> to prepare yourself for getting, going, to the room, going to the facility, whatever it is, waiting with other patients around you, oftentimes who are much sicker than you are, um, and then walking into the room and getting up on the table and having everybody else leave the room because they don't want to be radiated, and then having the machine... Um, do what it does to you, it's, uh, it, can, it can take a toll on you mentally. And so anything you can do to prepare for that is, uh, would be beneficial. And what you suggested was to have a little ritual. And one of the, one of the rituals was 
to just uh, express gratitude that you're fortunate enough to be able to be treated with this radiation because there's millions of people in this world that don't have the opportunity to do that. You know, you can, you can think of a, a hundred different examples of people all around the world that are in, and, and in this country, of course, that don't have the, that aren't in a situation where they have the ability to be treated with radiation for whatever it is that's afflicting them. And so that's just important to keep in mind that as unfortunate as it is, you are being treated with, you know, state of the art medicine in a way that many people just aren't. Mm. And I remember uh, one of the fears that we had is before you were getting the radiation, there were a number of uh, measurements that were being taken and people were giving you information that the cancer itself was this many centimeters from uh, a certain part of your body and another would say it's this many centimeters. So you had a fear or and a concern, rightfully so, that when they were going to be irradiating you, that they got it right. We didn't certainly want you to have a cancer and irradiating the normal part of your bowel. So that was very important as part of the process. Mm-hmm. So in moving through this, you are, you're doing really well in the chemo and the radiation. You've actually finished that now. And in the times that we saw each other, which were weekly, <clears throat> at the same time, we were getting lots of um, input from your wife, who is probably your main support system, uh, just an amazing person. She would be sending me uh, links to different types of cancer treatments, both pre- and post-operatively, and she was always on top of this and looking for uh, concepts and ways to improve the whole process, and that was beneficial. So we certainly want to mention uh, the support system for anybody that goes through this. But now you're facing the next part for you is surgery. Tell us what you think the surgery is going to be about and what your fears are or were with the surgery. Well, um, what the, the surgery that I'm facing is, you know, you have to take the tumor out and the, and the area around it and the lymph nodes. And, and you know, surgeons typically... Um, just go in and find what's in there and deal with it, which I understand because you, regardless of how good the diagnostic equipment is now, you, you just don't know until you're in there to see what's there or what's not or what it looks like or what needs to be done. So I understand that. So there's some element of, un, uh, of uncertainty about it. Um, but, you know, one of the terms that was used in our information gathering stage uh, was that this is going to be a complicated surgery, and that was that was not a term that that was that we were comfortable with because you know you don't want to have to have a complicated surgery, but it's um, you know we've been told that it's going to be you know five to six hours. Hopefully, it's going to be laparoscopic, uh, which means that they won't have to you know fillet me and cut me open, um, <laughs> and. Um, you know, and then I'll be in the hospital for probably, you know, five to seven days. And uh, that's a long time to be in a hospital. As we all know, hospitals are where you get sick. And what else is going to happen in this surgery that you're, you were concerned about that you were not looking forward to? Well, I'm going to have to have a temporary colostomy, as I think of what you're intimating at. Absolutely. Um, and so uh, nobody wants that. Um, there's an outside chance that it might not happen, so I'm not necessarily clinging to that, but that's part of that uncertainty. 
Um, but that, that is something that I will, it'll be a two stage surgery where you wear, you, you know, you have a diversion for however long that the second round of chemo is, which is going to be more intense than what I'm doing now. So, um, that, how much that, more, in, how much more intense? Well, it'll be IV based as opposed to the pill based chemo that I was taking before. And it'll be two different drugs, uh, where I was just taking a single drug during the six weeks of chemo and radiation. And so um, I, think, I think the side effects would certainly be more, are expected to be more pronounced in that second round of chemo. It's obviously going to be uh, much, much longer as well. Four to six months, maybe? That's what I've been told. Right. And again, uh, let me reiterate, we still don't even know if those lymph nodes in your pelvis are positive yet. That's correct, yeah. And, and, and the indication is that they are, but you know, they, there's a chance that they're not. Of course, that would be uh, fantastic. Yep, definitely. One of the things that um, we started working on was a journal. Do you want to talk about that for a moment? Sure. Yeah. Um, one of the things that you suggested, and I think we've we've I've read, you know, that that helps patients when you're going through a long process, a year long or longer, is to is to keep a journal. Um, you know, and you know, what does that mean? A daily diary, something like that, you know, a daily experience, certainly, uh, my wife was taking excellent, re- uh, notes of all the doctor's appointments of which there's quite a bit of humor, uh, in this. Um, <laughs> I've had, uh, my, um, my, I've been examined, uh, thoroughly and, um, I'm ready for that not to happen anytime soon, even though I know it will. So, <laughs> um, but there's, um, I think it's, uh, you know, again, one of the things that you suggested, which I'm uh, continuing to carry on, is to, you know, write down something every day that you're thankful for, uh, and also uh, think about something or someone that you might be empathetic about. And uh, I think that that really helped me through the chemo and radiation part because it makes you uh, think about your place in the world and you know, how fortunate you are in a lot of respects, even though you might be facing some very serious challenges. Uh, but at the same time, um, you know, if you, can, if you can keep a perspective about what's going on, I think it's really going to help that healing process. And I think that journal helps do that. And I think one other thing that came from that journal was that somewhere along the way when you started, you actually designed your own um, format. And if anybody is curious or wants to know that format, you can certainly get in touch with us. And I think Scott would be willing to share a simple way because he doesn't want to sit and write all the time. But if he has a line for this and a line for that, so I would recommend that. But one of the things that came out of this is you suddenly had this desire, which which we didn't talk about at the beginning, was to give back and to help other people. Well, I like to help other people. I mean, I work for the government. Government provides services to the community, and um, that's one of the things that I do. And I, I've been a teacher uh, in grad school. I was a TA. That was one of the things that I enjoyed most was actually teaching in the classroom. And so, I, you know, it occurred to me that once I'm through this process and I, and I, have, a, and I have the successful outcome that I know I will – then I think it will be. Um, I would be more than happy to make myself available to uh, to anyone that would uh, be interested in talking to me about something that they might be facing that would be similar. 
because one thing that I think would be helpful to anybody going through any sort of medical issue is to talk to people who are success stories. Mm -hmm. And so if someone says, hey, I've been through what you are going through right now, and it's tough, it's terrible, but you get through it, and you know, I'm a better person for it. Uh, it's, it's, again, I think that helps the healing process. And I, if, you know, if I'm fortunate enough to be able to offer that, I, I would be more than happy to do that in the future. And I will say that, uh, part of the reason we're doing this specifically is because of your willingness to do that honestly. And you've agreed to not only do this show, but we're going to come back a few times during your more intensive chemo and maybe after your surgeries and a few others and follow you all the way through it. And giving back is very important. And we really honor and appreciate that from Magical Medical Tour. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's great. I think, you know, there's, there's strength to be had on an individual basis from giving. And I think that's mm-hmm. important for people to realize. Mm, wonderful. Um, Scott, there's a, a few questions that have sort of crossed my desk here. Um, and one is, uh, as you go through this journey, as you've been through this journey, I mean, you, from since May, um, how did you find like your moods? I mean, did you feel like any depression? Um, I mean, we hear the word fear, you know, which is, is sort of encompasses anxiety. Um, do you feel that you have been able to rebalance that during this time? I, um, excellent question. I think that, uh, you know, again, everyone's different. And when, they, when they're faced with, um, you know, a, um, a, a diagnosis like this, what I wasn't faced with was a terminal disease. You know, I wasn't told you have inoperable brain cancer, for example, and you're, you're, you've got six months. And so that's a completely different animal than what I was, what I was told um, by all the physicians that I spoke with was what you have is highly treatable. You're going to make it through it. You're going to live a long life. Mm-hmm. And, and hearing that from all of the physicians was beneficial, whether it was true or not, what that helped me, which I, I'm sure it was true, but what, what that helped me, what that gave me perspective was, yeah, this is going to be um, a bummer. <laughs> but it's not it's not life threatening and that's that's what i told people friends and family was this isn't life threatening mm. it's it's going to be a dark journey at times i'm sure um but it's not life threatening and that was the key mm. so i think there's there's sort of a an either or on that you might have something that's life threatening and i think that's a completely different ball game but when you have something that very likely is not life threatening it's it's going to be a struggle, but it's not going to be uh, an end. And so that was something that really gave me perspective in terms of having, and I was aware to start with that uh, positive attitude is mm. extremely important. And so I'm a hundred percent optimistic that you know this time next year I'm going to be in great shape, mm. and I carry that with me every day. Uh, I had a friend uh, who I celebrated my birthday sort of in the midst of all this and right when I was starting chemo and a friend, I was walking on the beach with him and he said, are you scared? And I said, no. I said, the only person I'm scared for is my wife. Mm. But she's even stronger than I am. I'll attest to that. Mm. Lovely. Um, Scott, I've uh, 
experienced many um, individuals who have dealt with some form of cancer or other. And as they go through the chemo and uh, the radiation treatments, um, their, ha their body has been affected quite, you know, quite extreme with some, as you say, that the people, especially who are terminal in, in some ways. With you, th throughout these 28 days, and with the support of, you know, the work that Glenn is working with you on, how do you feel? I mean, your appetite, um, has it been quite balanced? Are you, are you feeling quite strong still? Yeah, I was really, really fortunate throughout the uh, chemo and the radiation to not have, not really have any significant side effects. Mm -hmm. It was 28 days, 28 weekdays as I went through this because apparently cancer takes the weekend off and holidays. <laughs> Can cancer gets July 4th off. So, um, well, I hope no you wrote that you were grateful for that one. <laughs> no, no, radi no radiation on the weekends, um, but you know, from throughout all of that. Um, I had no impact on my appetite, my energy level maintained, um, right. and so I was just—I was really thankful for all of that. I—I um, I was able to maintain a pretty work, pretty full work schedule, um, outside of having to actually go in for radiation treatment every day. So, again, I was fortunate in 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 that that I wasn't uh, affected by by some of those common side effects. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And away from your wife, who sounds like an incredible support group in it's in herself you know <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and do you, are there support groups that you're also going to or or i haven't i haven't gone to support groups now they're they're out there and i haven't i have not felt the need necessarily to do that myself mm -hmm. um i for me personally um i i don't i don't think it would be helpful for me in my healing process to hear negative stories mm. and so I did go to one one group um, that was part of a um, uh, sort of a uh, treatment process, which I think is a, a, maybe a group way to kind of go through what um, what the types of things that Glenn suggests in his approach. And I went to the uh, I went to the first session, and there was uh, three cancer patients there, and one of them told a story about her you know her story about being diagnosed and um, some of the um, very negative things actually that yes. that that happened to her uh there were some unexpected uh, findings when they actually did surgery and and i don't find stories like that she, you know she she turned out fine and she's healthy but i don't find things i don't find stories like that to be helpful to my healing process which are you know issues with the medical treatment process or whatever it is i just you know and it's I, and i don't i'm not having my i'm not intentionally trying to put my head in the sand but i don't think that negative information like that um is helpful to me personally through through my healing process mm -hmm. wonderful and you're and uh i'm assuming you're still working i am so do you find both uh, before and after this show before <laughs> <laughs> sorry you don't get a break <laughs> I, i'm very fortunate in that i have a very supportive employer that allows flexibility telecommuting and things like that so that's a that was a key factor in my treatment process oh, and being able to continue working and um to the you know to the extent possible and that's that was again something i was thankful for mm, how wonderful that you have such wonderful supporters around you mm -hmm. and all of us here at yoga hub as well Absolutely. I'll let you know that. <laughs> Over the internet. You know, bringing that up is very important. Uh, we did a recent interview with Dr. James Lake, an integrative psychiatrist, 
And he talked about uh, distant healing and intention of healing and non-local healing. So, Scott, I haven't talked to you about this, but I know that in working in your journal, you, you have compassion every day for people and gratitude, and you think of people every day. And I'm I'm suggesting now that anybody that might listen to this uh, podcast or watch this, uh, if you see this, take one moment and think about Scott and send him good wishes because he's uh, doing this uh, for other people also and also for many people. I have family, friends, clients, and people I don't even know that are going through this exact same thing right now. So, Anytime that anybody thinks about this possibility, send out good wishes to people all over the planet. I would like to see mm -hmm. that happening. And anytime, like I said, if you watch this show and you hear it, pass it on to other people and then think about uh, Scott and all other people that you know at this time. Scott, we're coming close to the end of the show. We're speaking with Scott Spaulding, uh, a gentleman who is willing to take us on his journey through his cancer uh, therapy and treatment, and we're looking forward to the time when you can reschedule that trip to Africa. But before that, do you have a health tip for us, other than the tips you've given us already? I have, I have not one, but two. Um, Whoa. Whoa! I have, uh, you know, when we were talking about this show, it made me sort of think about the whole process, and and I think a good, um, you know, analogy or metaphor could be to think about, for anybody who's facing something, uh, you know, serious and that requires treatment, to think about, you know, the medical process as a river. You know, water is obviously uh, critical to life. But if you think about a river and the river being the, the medical uh, process that we have, certainly in this country, I can't speak to others, but you have a couple of choices. You're going to be in that river. And that river is going to, at times, control you, um, but it would be helpful if, at times, you could control the river. So, one way to think about going through this whole process is as uh, a leaf or a twig that's thrown into that river. And that river is, takes that twig wherever it wants to, through the shoals, through rough patches, ultimately out to the, uh, maybe it's discarded on, on a beach somewhere in, in part of the river. But it carries that where, wherever it wants to go. The other way to think about it is to be in to be yourself in that river. Either you're swimming, you're in a kayak, but you can guide yourself um, to in different directions. And at times, you may even be able to go upstream if you're strong enough. And so, you know, I've chosen the path to try to have as much control I can over my healthcare and treatment process in this whole thing. So, you know. Different things will work for different people, but if you sort of take a broad look at, at what's, what's going to be happening to you over the course of your treatment process, um, you can sort of, I think, go in one of those two ways. And I would certainly advocate for having more control over the direction that you're going rather than having the river control you and, and sort of do what it wants to you. So um, that's sort of a broad way to look at it. The, the second thing I would say is much shorter, and that's... Uh, the extreme importance of having a positive attitude towards mm. everything when mm. you're going through this. Beautiful. And so you really have to just be positive and think positively. And I would say that although I think I was a, generally a pretty positive person before this, I, I, I've made a very conscious effort to be far more positive, to reduce any sort of outside stress factors, 
because again, stress is destructive and you just have to eliminate it to the extent that you can. So I would say just be as positive as you can and think about everything every day, every minute of every day, how you can be positive about something that's coming in uh, rather than negative. Mm. Mm. Take a breath mm. on that and let that flow to everybody. Well said, Scott. Copyright. Very grateful to our very special <laughs> guest, Scott Spaulding, who is sharing his journey with us. And we will be on some other shows with him as we go along his journey. I'm appreciative our, of my teachers and my healers and allowing me on my journey. Thank you to Yoga Hub and Christina and Segovia and all of our global viewers and listeners for supporting us in this uh, new paradigm. Look forward to getting together with all of you again at another time. And until that time, I wish you all optimal health. Thank you, Scott. Glad to be here. Looking forward to the next show. Yes, thank you so much, Scott. The, your courage and your positive attitude is truly inspiring, I'm sure, not just to those who may be dealing with some imbalance of any sort, but just to life itself. And I thank you for that. You've gifted us today greatly. Thank you. And of course, thank you, Doc, for again hosting another wonderful show. And we would like to thank each and every one of you for joining us in this new platform of education and information. We're grateful for your continuous support. And we look forward to hearing your feedback on how we can serve you better. Um, you can connect with Dr. Glenn Woolman through his website, glennwoolman.com, where you can learn about his metaphor square breath. And uh, again, we encourage your questions, um, your comments. Uh, if you would like to leave any for Scott as well, we will make sure to get it over to him and reply to you. Um, and we are always grateful for any other comments and suggestions. You can scroll down on the screen and type it into the comment box or give us a call at 818-LET'S-TALK. 818-LET'S-TALK. Thank you for joining us today. Until next time, namaste. Namaste.